people need ordering principles. Twelve rules. Hello, and welcome to Twelve Rules for What. This is a podcast about fascism, anti-fascism, and the far right. My name is Alex. A few announcements before we begin. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Twelve Rules for What, or on Twitter slash X at Twelve Rules for What. Or you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash 12rulesforwhat. You can follow for as little as $2 a month, you get access to early episodes, and you support us continuing doing the show. Also, this is just to say, we are part of the Channel Zero network of anarchist podcasts, so you should go and check them out at the Channel Zero website. And now, on with the interview, we are joined by Owen O'Connovan, who's an activist for People Before Profit um, from North Dublin. We'll be discussing the Dublin race riots, the far right in Ireland more generally, and what the Irish anti-fascist left are doing about it. Enjoy the show. Hi. Now we're joined by Owen O'Connovan, who is a local rep for the party People Before Profit in the North Dublin, and is the editor of an online magazine called Rebel. Hi, Owen. How are you? How's it going? Good to chat to you. And yeah, I'm also joined by Solon. Hi, Solon. Hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, so we wanted to have you on or to, have, to get a perspective on in the wake of these kind of two days or a day of riots in Dublin that happened recently. And so if you'd like to, just from your perspective on the ground, what what happened? Yeah, so I suppose what happened, it's a couple of weeks ago now, and for a lot of people, it it, it is kind of unprecedented, but at the same time, it's something that didn't, like it didn't come out of the blue. So there was an attack in the city centre on some school children and their teacher all just on the street and the basically far-right fascists agitators jumped on this and started spreading out the information that this the person the perpetrator was a migrant and before anybody knew and it turns out as far as i, I know the, the perpetrator was somebody who has irish citizenship but is originally from not from ireland but either way basically there are these fa- fascist far-right agitators who, who over the past couple of years have been managing to kind of uh, stir up fear and rev up kind of uh, opposition to uh, migrants, to people of colour and so on. And uh, they managed to basically kind of incite uh, a riot. And um, I think if you look at the people that were involved in it, uh, because there's a lot of different kinds of, na- there's a lot of different kind of narratives now around this Um one is that you know this is like look at the state of inner city Dublin. You know, it's it's people have been talking about this for a long time about you know crime rates, which I don't I think are actually that much higher than any you know. Uh, but there's obviously there's there's serious problems in the inner city of 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 poverty, of deprivation, or you know there's there's addiction issues and so on, and so people were t- kind of tying it into that. On the other hand, you know there's a backlash against that to say that this is all very classist kind of stuff and so on. I think the reality is that if you look at some of the people who were arrested, um, a lot of them didn't have addresses in the city at all. A lot of them, uh, I think, obviously came in from outside. Uh, and a few of the cases I've seen were of kind of known kind of um, far-right people. And obviously we've seen the people who incited it online. But at the same time, there is also a kind of a, a section of kind of disaffected young people who are maybe, while I would say they're definitely not fascists or, you know, far right or whatever themselves, that they are in the orbit of kind of some of these fascist groups and that, that some of the far, the far right groups have some sway when stuff like this happens, that they're able to stir people up and kind of basically, as, as they did, incite a riot. So I'd say that's the kind of the basic kind of thing that, that happened a few weeks ago. 
I I think to to stick with that context for a bit, um, where you've mentioned these kind of two two con- potentially contributing factors or two sort of stories about what this came out of, and and you've spoken about the kind of the social context of inner North Dublin, as well as these more ideological ideologically driven far right agitators, and I wondered if you could you know speak a little bit more about I suppose what's been happening in Ireland the last few years in terms of far-right agitation and in terms of the kind of social social situation as well. Yeah, well, as I said, I mean, this didn't come out of the blue at all. I think in Ireland, we, we've had a situation where you, we haven't had a very kind of, unlike, say, in France or in Italy or Germany or, or even in Britain, where you've had kind of seriously serious organised far-right and fascist forces that hasn't been the case really in Ireland since the 1930s, to be honest. Although there have been, there was a very kind of conservative Catholic state, which had kind of a huge amount of control and uh, you know uh, over the over the society, you know, until quite recently. But what's happened over the past kind of five to ten years or so is there is the beginnings of a kind of a growing sort of far right movement. I think they benefited a lot from the COVID nineteen pandemic, where obviously the kind of spreading of kind of conspiracies and so on about vaccines and so on that they, they were able to kind of make make uh, make gains within that but also i think the fact that people were large parts of the left were unwilling to confront them on the streets because of the pandemic and you can kind of understand that when there's you know fear about public health and so on but they were kind of allowed to have free reign of the streets for a period during covid and that's obviously kind of changed now but they've they have made some gains during that and then more recently i think the second factor then is that they're trying to capitalize on the a combination of a refugee crisis and a housing crisis in Ireland. So, you know, the, the, the Irish government has really been pretty appalling when it comes to the treatment of migrants and asylum seekers. We have a system called the direct provision system, which has been in place since 1999. Uh, asylum seekers that come here, they, they, they're not really allowed to work. They're put into these centers where they're treated really poorly. They're not, they're kind of kept out of society. Uh, and they also, these things, these centers, they create a, you know, a very easy target for far-right agitators. Uh, on the other hand, then, there, we have a, a serious housing crisis. The government has just refused. They completely rely on the, on the market uh, on, for, for housing. They refuse to build social housing in a way that, like, for example, in the 1930s and 40s, one of the right-wing parties that we have now, they actually did build social housing on a mass scale for, for working people. And that, uh, you know, But that's just not the case anymore. There's just a total reliance on the free market and rents are skyrocketing, the house prices are skyrocketing. And so it, it, that creates a space then for the far right to con- kind of come in and say, it's the refugees that are taking houses and so on. That's kind of how they start. They say, they start by saying, we need to house our own first. And, you know, you might be an average person who, you know, who hears this, is struggling with housing, and you go along to a far right thing where they start by saying, how's the Irish first? And then obviously then, once you're in that orbit, they start feeding kind of bitter, kind of horrible lies about black and brown men, about the dangers to the society and so on. I mean, that's the kind of modus operandi of the, over the last little while. And there have been, they've basically been targeting over the last year or so, targeting direct provision centers and also just targeting, yeah, places where refugees are being put, where asylum seekers are being put. And it should, yeah, I stress again, like the, 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 the treatment of asylum seekers is appalling by the government in and of itself but even more recently now the government has they basically stopped even putting asylum seekers into into direct provision is the system that it's called they just started by giving them a 20 euro meal voucher and then putting you know saying they had to find their own accommodation so basically and making them homeless on arrival and so we've had for example uh 
I think it's about six months ago now, for example, there was a camp where you had asylum seekers camped because they had nowhere else to go. And far right basically agitated the kind of local population against them. And we're like, we're trying to basically incite a pogrom. I, I, there's no other word for it, really, is what they were trying to do. And there was opposition then from the left. Uh, we managed to protect the, the camp and protect the people within the camp, uh, people from different organizations and be anti-racist, just unaffiliated people who came together. And uh, we managed to basically hold off that kind of an attack, but then and, and get the people out safely. But ultimately, the they, they managed to get in and burn uh, burn the camp down. Nobody was hurt, thankfully, but, but, but we were able to get people out of it. Uh, and then another, I mean, there, you can go on. I mean, there's in Clare, for example, in the west of Ireland, there's been a case where people, I, I, there's no other word for it other than vigilantism. They mm-hmm. put up checkpoints on the roads and so on and insisted. And and by the way, they were allowed to do this by the Gardaí, by the, by the Irish police, that they were allowed to get onto buses and count numbers of asylum seekers uh, to make sure who was on the bus and who wasn't and so on. So wow. so that's the kind of thing that's ha- been happening. And, and I, I think it's worth saying that like this is... Um, yeah, I think every we like people on the left recognize it's a very dangerous situation and this is that this is growing. But on the other hand, there has been significant pushback against it. There have been major kind of solidarity demonstrations. There have been cases where the far right have been pushed back off the streets and so on. Back in February of this year, we had a, a march of about thirty thousand people uh, or so. It was a bit uh, under the kind of slogan of Ireland for all. So the kind of anti-racist, I think. They really do dwarf the far right, but at the same time, the far right is starting to get a, a, toe, a toehold, and it's something that that is particularly uh, concerning. I think you, you you mentioned that it's like not really a far right is not necessarily organising in a traditional sense, I suppose, like into a like a, a one party or like one one organisation. Do you think that makes it harder to oppose in some ways because you're kind of re- trying to monitor these kind of online networks and these more informal networks of things that come together in local areas rather than having some kind of set thing that you can oppose that has meetings or that has, you know, regular stalls or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Well, on the one hand, it, it's kind of difficult to try and chase things down a lot. You know, it is, you know, when there's different things happening and it's quite dis- diffuse, it's difficult. But on the other hand, you know, I would, in a lot of ways, I prefer that than having an organized fascist party you know like or or a far unorganized far, far right party so there are like there's a few attempts at this uh, to build this so there's the Irish Freedom Party headed by somebody called Herman Kelly who is from a kind of a fundamentalist catholic sort of a background he actually used to work for Nigel Farage i think as a as a as a PRO or something like that so he, cool he, yeah exactly uh, so freedom party is one of them yeah so they're trying to create a sort of a ukip style party which is not so much about They'll do protests, but they're not, at the moment anyway, they don't seem to be trying to build a kind of a fascist kind of boot boys on the streets type of a party. Uh, and then the other two parties, there's the National Party, which is in a bit of a disarray at the moment. They seem to have ousted their leader. Their old leader was Justin Barrett, who's like a, he seems to model himself on, on Hitler, to be honest. He, he turned up to a protest there recently at, in, a, in an old SS coat. And he, if you ever look at him speak, he... He sounds like he wants to be Hitler, but they've actually got rid of him, I think, possibly because he's too toxic for them. And they've got somebody else called James Reynolds at the head of it now. I don't know where they'll go from that, but I just definitely know that under Barrett, they were definitely trying to build this sort of street fighting sort of thing. They hadn't got very far with it, but they were definitely there. And they're definitely members of theirs had attacked LGBT people and so on on the streets. And 
And then the last one then is a new one called Ireland First, which is, I mean, it's quite new, but it's headed up by somebody called Derek Bly, who, like, he's against, you know, Irish, against foreigners coming into the country, even though he, uh, as as usual with these people, like, it's, it's a huge amount of hypocrisy. I'm pretty sure he went off and lived in Canada for years, and his wife is Canadian and so on. But, I mean, I guess it's, I guess these people are white, so it's okay. But from their perspective, but yeah, so that Ireland first is the third one. So basically, what I mean, basically, just to kind of paint the picture, you've got you've got a few different groups that are trying to build, and then you have, and they have, and then there's other kind of individuals that have a, a presence online that are able to incite people and so on. And there'll be local elections next year. They've never won any seats. There's for like an explicitly kind of far right party. None of them have ever won seats until now. And I guess you know a big job for people here. In, in 2024 is to try and prevent them from getting getting any any seats in local elections next year. Could you speak a little bit more about this relationship between the kind of the emergence of this rural vigilantism and then these outbursts of of violence in Dublin? Because it one thing that strikes me is that it's sort of a cluster of questions. I'll try and frame it as clearly as I can. But, you know, the last big round of rioting in Dublin, as I understand it, was in 2006 against the the Love Ulster March, and and so there is this kind of so there is a tradition of uh, a tradition to an extent of rioting in Dublin. There's, as I understand it, also particularly in the areas that you're active and the areas affected by the riots as well, a strong kind of anti-guardy feeling, a, a very strained relationship to policing, and so it's it's. I guess I'm I'm wondering how has how have questions of migration and asylum seekers and refugees in particular become this kind of flashpoint for these kinds of interventions, either in in the countryside or in the city? Is it similar social basis or is it completely different or how has this kind of, how has this come to be? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things there. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that we really have a, you know, a tradition of of rioting in in, in Dublin. I I think, I mean, go back to 2006, yeah, there was like those Orange Order, people opposed the Orange Order, basically, Mm. rioting, which I think actually is a good thing, to be honest. Oh, yeah, full story. No, 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 that was not a disapproving reference to 2006. Absolutely. But but yeah, I mean, I think this was very different. And then there's this stuff in the countryside, which which you spoke about, which, which, look, I mean, uh, I think, well, first of all, just in terms of the kind of the the social base, I I think the, the social base if you look at the kind of leadership of these things like there's definitely there's money behind them i think in rural ireland now there is a kind of there's actually kind of a a lot of there's they're not from they're not in a party but they're they're tds or we call them tds but it's an mp basically which are independent so they don't have any they're not aligned to any party but they they've been kind of parroting a lot of this far right stuff and there's a possibility that they may end up kind of forming a party and i think some of it is based around anti-migrant stuff some of it is also around trying to relate to kind of farmers and so on around issues around climate so something maybe similar to what we're seeing in in the netherlands with that farmer citizen movement that that there's a possibility that they might try and form something there and that the kind of the, the basis of that i suppose the class basis of that is a kind of a more sort of a you know rural kind of a middle class thing of people who um uh you know, who are basically afraid of, on the one hand, like, um, afraid of, they don't like the big corporations that are benefiting from the tax haven here and so on. But they also, there's a lot of kind of, they also don't particularly like workers and and so on. So, I mean, I think there's there's some of that in the, the, but then there's also, I think in, look, there's no doubt in in the cities that 
and we were talking about Dublin, obviously, that there's a layer of obviously very disaffected people. There's a huge amount of poverty. There's a huge amount of uh, issues. And like, it's not that all of those people are going to go to the far right, but uh, certainly like at all, actually. But, Mm. but, you know, a small number of them can sometimes get caught up in this stuff and can go kind of either way. And I think that's kind of one of the challenges for us in, in Ireland now is, is that it's, I think we need to obviously oppose racism, oppose the, the far right and the fascists and so on. And we need to do it on the streets as well. This is one of the issues that we've had here is that there's been, sometimes there's been among sections of the left, there's been a reluctance to go up against them uh, on the streets. But so that's one side of it. We definitely need to do that. But I think that has to also go hand in hand with an economic fight and a fight on on housing, for example, on poverty, on public services and so on. So that people are, I think when you're fighting on somebody's side, if it's a a housing question or an eviction question or anything like that, I think you're going to have a much better chance of winning them away from racist ideas if they have those racist ideas than than if you're just kind of standing away from that. And I think the way that there's these kind of attempts at division is, is quite is something that we have to constantly kind of have 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 on our minds that's like you know the people in the inner city of dublin are actually they're people that we should see as on our side even if we have to sometimes argue with some of them over some of these questions 100 percent. just to pivot back to the riots just briefly what's been the response of the irish state to this because obviously these kind of big scenes of mass disorder are pretty shocking to a lot of people and a lot of like i suppose liberal opinion in ireland and indeed in in Britain as well. So what's been their response to this 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 situation? Yeah, I mean, the thing from the state has been to say that the Gardaí are don't know, are confused about, how do they put it? They basically say that the Gardaí are unsure about whether they can use force or not to, you know, push back against these kinds of things, which is a total nonsense. Uh, because if you look at what they've done over the past few years, they've had absolutely no trouble using force against when it came to there's a there was a Debenham strike uh, recently where, you know, mainly women workers who had been de- denied their redundancies and they had the longest strike in, in history. Ultimately, okay. the Gardaí were, were the ones that broke that strike and, and dragged them out. Uh, you can go back to when you had peaceful protests about the uh, around water charges and you had direct action and so on, people being arrested and brought thro- before the courts under, you know, a trumped up charges. You can go back to, you know, there was a Shell to Sea campaign when Shell was trying to drill off the west coast of Ireland. They were they were um, met with uh, serious force from the Gardaí. So the idea, what, uh, uh, but on co- by contrast, then you have uh, the treatment of far right uh, protesters, or if you want to call them protesters, uh, agitators, whatever, where they've been treated with kid gloves to be honest like so the 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 thing you know the incident i spoke about earlier where we had to basically form a kind of barrier between the camp and the people who were kind of who were trying to attack the camp the guardy told (laughs) told said to us that they would uh, protect the camp and then allowed people to go in to burn it they were they also allowed allowed people to board buses to count people and so on all of these different things Uh, they've allowed actually there's been uh, a group of uh, far-right agitators who've been going around the country to go into libraries and uh, basically kind of against lgbt material in libraries uh, and just kind of they go in and they film uh, and they harangue the staff and they you know they terrorize the children that are in there and so on uh, and actually the guardy have allowed them have escorted them in past protesters and i think it was in cork or limerick i can't remember well recently enough um the guardy escorted them into the library past the anti-fascist protests that were trying to protect the library. So, yeah, the the state has been... What they've said is that they don't want to play into the hands of the far right and so on. 
but I think that it, there's a massive con- contradiction between the way they treat the far right and the way the way they tr- uh, treat the left. And I think they're they're creating a kind of a space there for for the far right to to, to operate in a way that they wouldn't allow the left to. Now, what do we do with that? I mean, I don't think that the solution to that is to ask the Gardaí to be better or the police to be better because that's not what's going to happen like so out of the riots what's what's happening is i think they're going to be given there's talk of giving them tear gas and stuff like that which they haven't been given before and tasers stuff that they haven't been given before and those will not be used against the far right ultimately they're going to be end up being used against you know left-wing protesters and also i think it's just people in the in the inner city who are like really over policed a, a lot of the time there's a there's a case for example that's ongoing now for I think coming up on on seventeen years now of Terence Wheelock, who was he was I think he was twenty one when he was ki- he was killed in police custody, and there's an ongoing campaign. Uh, there's an ongoing campaign for justice for him, and you know what happened back then was that he they arrested him on some for something he didn't do. They and then they they claimed that he tried that he committed suicide uh, in his own cell, and the way that he was supposed to have done this was that he drilled a hole in the wall with his fingernails. He took out his drawstring from his tracksuit, and he managed to hang himself from from the wall, which is like obviously such so obviously false that you know it's it's laughable. But there's been no they basically every government since then has denied an independent investigation. So these are the kinds of things that people are are putting up with. There was a there was a, a killing of a young black man a couple of years ago, George and Ken show by the police as well. He he was he clearly having a um, an incident where he was undergoing severe mental distress, and he was he was maybe a psychotic episode or something like that. But they basically shot him dead outside of his home. Uh, and so these are these are all the things that, that that have been kind of happening. There's been we in Ireland we don't have armed cops usually the kind of cops on the beat or not uh, but there's been a kind of a push to increase the the, the powers of the, of the Gardaí uh, over the past couple of years to, to kind of talk about this kind of law and order rhetoric and uh, they will use this these far right you know riots and and so on they, they will use the kind of agitation of the far right to argue for more uh, harsh policing powers but they won't actually use those powers to police the far right they'll use it to police the left and just ordinary working class people in, in, in Dublin and, 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 and in other cities. Yeah, I mean, that that is a pattern that we see play out all over all the time, of course, that any kind of repressive, increased repressive power of the states, whatever it emerges supposedly in response to it, it strikes at the left poor and working people first and foremost, and very, very rarely is it used to repress the far right. In fact, there's this strange convergence, right, between the framing, the framings of far right politics and the kind of law and order and anti-working class rhetoric that then emerges from parts of the more liberal state in response, there's a weird kind of mutually reinforcing quality there. I wanted to ask, though, one of the things that's been really striking about following these riots and then the different discussions and kind of articulations of the riots in the aftermath, to follow those discussions online, it seems like there's been a really massive amount of participation from like the wider English speaking online far right kind of across the world that there's this real, I don't know, there's a real fascination and a real focus of these kind of Steve Bannon type right wing people with what's been going on in Ireland. And of course, you mentioned right at the top, you were saying about the kind of the anti-lockdown protests and then this also these attacks on refugees and then also, of course, the attacks on libraries and this LGBT framing. It all seems to be kind of, that resonates very strongly with, I guess, what we're seeing in the Anglophone far right globally. To what extent are these politics being kind of imported to Ireland from the outside? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think 
we saw like a lot of the tweets. I, I, somebody did an, an analysis there of tweets, you know, saying, you know, there's this slogan, Ireland is full, and found that actually the vast majority of the tweets saying Ireland is full don't actually originate from Ireland. They originate mm. from elsewhere. So there's no doubt that this stuff, and, and we saw it actually with the killing of George and Kensho by police that I remember when People Before Profit, we put up a post about it and it was just completely deluged by this kind of onslaught of comments just like he couldn't keep up with it whatsoever and that was you know a lot of that was coming from abroad there's obviously people in ireland as well that, that are you know caught up with this stuff as well but it's definitely been kind of egged on from abroad so I, I think there is this stuff coming from outside which is obviously it is having traction i think i mean this is what's ha- what happens with the far right kind of globally as well that you know they you know they take they take inspiration from each other and so on, and they try tactics that's been, that have been tried in, in the States and so on. They, they absolutely do that. But I would say, though, that there's a danger. I mean, I guess well, this is from somebody in Ireland that like there, there's, you know, there's a kind of a well-meaning thing in Ireland, which is like, oh, you just can't be Irish and be racist, you know? Which I think is, you know, I relate to it. I'm not, I'm not going to argue very hard against somebody who says, like, because of our history in Ireland, that you know, well, it's more. Well, I know what's behind it. They're basically kind of saying you shouldn't be racist <laughs> if you're Irish or whatever, mm. because we have this history, um, anti kind of colonial history, anti imperialist history, and also history of migration and going uh, all over the world. And, uh, and absolutely, I think that's something that's there. Is a good thing to promote, I think, and that does win people over. And you, you see just average people kind of saying, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer for them to say, you know, even if they're not particularly political, to say, look, sure, we went all over the world and so on. And, and I think that's good. But what I would say is that there is, like, I think there's two kind of factors create a space for the far right. And one of them is is in Ireland, which is that, you know, more of independence against the, the where we had, obviously, the 26 counties were liberated from from Britain, um, uh, that the people who came to power there were very deeply uh, conservative and right wing, uh, and it was kind of a counter revolution, really. What 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 happened uh, with the kind of founding of the new state, and they made obviously alliances with the church and so on, and they had a big impact uh, over decades. Uh, and I think there's still kind of a force there, like particularly with the defeat of the Eighth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment was basically what what put it into the constitution that the life of the unborn was equal to the life of the mother it basically meant that no abortion was allowed and so on and this was voted down in 2018 and so we've had yeah. and, and it was done by popular vote as well but there's been a reaction to that i think in a movement to the right from some of that kind of catholic it's a very catholic kind of base who would have been against these things so that's one side of it and i think the other side of it then is that as ireland it becomes tries to and and does become more kind of integrated into the European project that this creates a space as well for a far right for, for just general kind of racism I think for kind of a the idea of a kind of a you know Europeans versus the rest of the world and so on versus mm. people who are trying to come here and so on this idea of a European identity and the current government has been trying to get us closer to NATO closer to a EU, EU army and so on has been completely obviously collaborating on EU uh, refugee policies and so on the fortress Europe policies have caused the deaths of tens of thousands of people and so I think that creates being part of that creates a space then for the far right because the far right come along and they say <laughs> you know like as racist as our government is, uh, you know, if you want to stop migrants, we can do it a lot better than than your kind of like centrist liberals can. So I think I think those two things 
mean that it's yeah there some of it is coming from abroad absolutely and there's inspiration being taken from from abroad but there's also there's factors at home that, that create the conditions for this base being created for the far right which is not to say that it's inevitable that they'll grow but we can obviously push back against it but the the, the, the those kind of factors are there what i would say is that in general in ireland there is a move to the left against and i think you have uh, Fianna Fáil and, and Fine Gael, which are the parties that have been ruling for you know since the since the the beginning of the state really, which are two kind of right wing parties that they they have they've had to go into government together now, and Sinn Fein are on the rise. And look, at, I, I I don't I think that as Sinn Fein are getting closer to government, they're moving closer to the centre. They've actually not dealt particularly well with these the attack that happened a few weeks ago and, and the riots and so on. They've come out with a lot of kind of law and order sort of re- rhetoric and so on. But I do think there's been there's a there's a support for them for their what they the way because they talk left and they talk about housing and and so on and they they and actually a lot of their membership I think and a lot of their activists are to the left of the, of their leadership, maybe you know maybe a bit a little bit like the like the Labour Party would have been maybe after after Corbyn was 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 ousted although I think a lot of those people have been purged by now <laughs> by by Starmer yeah. but so I I think that yeah it's it, like. It's it's a it's a very much like across Europe. It's it's uh, there's a contested space there, but I think it's really up to people to try and get organised wherever you are. I think that the the you know when we've had these kinds of things happen before, like um you know far right protests or like people getting onto buses and counting bars or or like all of these kinds of things or trying to attack direct provision centres, there has been a response as well from kind of the from the left and just kind of wider kind of anti-racists across society and they've come together and they've pushed back against this stuff so yeah i think it's dangerous i think to do two things it's dangerous to kind of dismiss somewhere as a kind of a racist backward but it's also dangerous to kind of say oh look we're fine because we're you know we we don't have any of this stuff like the the reality is across europe across the world now there is a you know there's a far right of the the danger of the far right and also there's there's serious openings for the left actually i think the conditions are there that if people can get organized and push back against stuff that we can actually push back not only against the far right but against the the center as well and, and try and fight for a better society for for everybody yeah indeed and i think that that analysis that you presented about the the effects of you know integration into a neoliberal and imperialist and in many ways directly white supremacist project like the European Union and and this you know approach towards NATO and the the effects of that I think is a really it's a really astute analysis and something that I'm going to be really thinking about because there's it's definitely certainly kind of in in the British state the kind of like liberal wing of capital I suppose often presents uh, greater integration into these European projects as you know a kind of cosmopolitan liberal project when in fact they're enormously repressive Mm -hmm. you know and racist institutions and i suppose that that kind of undermining or you know undermining the kind of history of irish anti-colonial and anti-imperial struggle i think is something absolutely Uh, yeah like i mean just to say like i I think you know people have been kind of scandalized by what the Tories have been doing uh, in Britain, you know, obviously talking about sending people to Rwanda and so on, which is obviously a barbaric policy. And, you know, we have, like, it's horrible what, the, what they've been doing. But, like, I think sometimes people try and present the EU then as some sort of li- liberal counterbalance to that. And I, I think, you know, if you look at the plans for Rwanda, like, I mean, the EU have already been, you know, 
collaborating with the, the Libyan Coast Guard to ensure that people yeah. get, never make it to Europe and so on. Like the, the kind of barbaric policies that the Tories are bringing in, the EU is absolutely doing it, you know, probably on a, on a on a larger scale, really, because just because it's a bigger kind of a block of, you know, imperialist kind of racist countries. Like, you know, well, sorry, leaderships as well. Not not to say that the ordinary people in across Europe are racist or anything, but that, but the, the leadership, I think, are of and the kind of, yeah, I suppose, neoliberal imperialist policies that are being introduced are absolutely as bad as what the tourists are doing, if not, if not worse. Yeah, so there really is like a, a classic sort of three-way fight afoot there, I suppose. I mean, where there's a, because I, I was also, you know, I mean, I we've kind of, we covered this already, but I was also really taken aback, again, following the discussions on the internet in the aftermath of really some of the like, um, you know, I mean, I've been to Dublin a couple of times. It's not a city that I know very well, but the kind of some of the anti-working class and anti-poor people language kind of deployed by people who I got strong Remainer vibes from, you know, if I were to make an analogy for a political <laughs> constituency in this country, you know, that that. <laughs> You know, there was real, real, you know, intense vitriol there that just really, and I could sort of see immediately this kind of law and order outcomes of that and how that's extremely unlikely to really do anything to undercut the far right. I I suppose just to say, just on that, I mean, like, you know, we're we're talking about the riots and the, you know, and then obviously the kind of the sort of liberal reaction, that kind of the classist reaction, which doesn't take account for how the mainstream, um, you know, the mainstream of politics is creating the conditions for this kind of stuff to spread. But like on the other side, I, I keep saying that this stuff is contested. And I, I just to say that like over the past, you know, six weeks to two months or so, uh, the left has had the streets in Dublin, you know, in mass numbers for, you know, of, you know, these massive protests for, for Palestine and serious pressure being put on on the government to actually take action. And they've, you know, in reality, they haven't yet. They've been calling for a ceasefire and so on. They've done that quicker than other countries have and so on not because they actually want a ceasefire or they're because because they have any kind of real solidarity with palestinian people because of the massive pressure they're under and i think i think that's worth pointing to as well that the you know again yeah these things are 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 constantly being contested and i think you know the the kind of palestine movement now in ireland is is extremely strong and you know if you look at the riots kind of in in isolation it can look like that we're really on the back foot or something like that. But I actually, mm. I, t- I tend to probably disagree with that if somebody was making that point that actually we're, we're, we're you know, in the context of the kind of pro-Palestine movement now that there is a huge energy behind it, uh, that it's a hugely kind of positive kind of anti-racist sentiment in general. And there's a massive kind of solidarity that we obviously keep, have to keep the foot, keep keep going and keep trying to build that but but it, it's it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty good to see yeah i mean that that was actually almost exactly what <laughs> what my next question was going to be which was kind of something about you know the basis for mobilizing you know the the social basis for mobilizing against this stuff and like you're saying not the riots only in isolation but also these racist and xenophobic and repressive state policies and also the wider kind of social social problems and and that are confronting working and poor people in Ireland um so yeah where do you you've mentioned the that of course I think in in many parts of Europe what's happening in Gaza has been a real kind of wake-up call it's brought a lot of people out into the street I mean in a very tragic way but it's 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 led to a huge upswing in mobilization what do you see as the other kind of points of you know points of points of leverage for a resurgent left or resurgent working class movement yeah, well, I, I think that the we're in a period now where we're facing multiple crises of the system, crises of, you know, 
that the system can't provide for people in the way that maybe you know post war boom and so on you had a certain section of people that were doing that were able to kind of just get on with things and do okay like you know that's certainly in in ireland now that's that's been hollowed out housing is a massive issue inequality is a massive issue just healthcare, these kinds of basic things on top of that i think if we're you know looking at the the climate crisis and the 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 environmental crisis that's like i mean we're coming into cop 28 now which is being chaired by the CEO of, a, of an oil company in the United Arab Emirates. Like, so it's mm. kind of like laughable to think that the kind of ruling class is going to climb it. And then on top of that, I think I think what's happening in Palestine now is is you know significant, very obviously horrific in terms of what's been done to the Palestinians. But when I say significant, I, th- I think like possibly. It could really change things in in a big way. You know, there's a, it's it's quite dangerous for one thing. I mean, it could escalate into kind of a, a wider regional war, which is obviously not something that anyone wants to kind of think about. But it, the danger is definitely there. But on the other hand, uh, like I think that the the Western leaders now who try to kind of, I think the US tried to reassert themselves as kind of global leaders after their failures in Afghanistan. That you know, Putin really did them a, in a lot of ways did the US a favor. In invading the in invading Ukraine by being able to say you know this you know this is a barbaric invasion of Ukraine which I agree it is but it's always a thing of like I think it was Rosa Luxemburg used to say about the various imperialist leaders they tell the truth about each other so the US you know they don't tell the truth about themselves so the US yeah. has been able to paint itself as a, as a kind of leader of of, uh, of democracy and freedom and so on while the war in Ukraine has been happening and pour weapons into Ukraine and so on and you know. But really, when you look at what is doing, what's happening now in Palestine, that like all of those gains that they've had are completely blown out of the water. And I, I think, and the same with the the EU leaders. Like, how can you put yourself forward as a defender of human rights and freedom and democracy when you're actively funding this kind of barbarism? And I think that people can see that, and I, I think it's a, it's actually a, quite a profound. It's going to have a profound impact on people in in the West. Um, and I just hope that I yeah. think that the question is whether we can organize around that sentiment and build the kinds of organizations that we need to challenge the status quo, because there's, it's good enough. It's good to have all the sentiment, to have people rising up and so forth. But I think it has to we have to get organized. And I think we need organizations that are going to try and carry this this through. Great. Yeah, that's I think kind of to like my, my final question is, is kind of off the back of that, is it? I mean, the the left in the British state hasn't really historically, with honorable exception, hasn't exactly covered itself with glory in terms of standing in solidarity with comrades in Ireland. And I was wondering, kind of two parts. One is, do you have some some pointers or some advice for good sources of information for people who want to be better oriented about the kind of states of struggle in Ireland? And secondly, whether there's things that comrades in the British states can do in terms of practical solidarity with those struggles yeah well i mean i think in terms of resources i mean like if people are looking for stuff on the history of ireland i think that there's a book by by kieran allen recently on 32 counties at the case for united ireland which kind of goes through the history of how ireland was partitioned and so on and and also like i mean it has a critique of has a there's a critique there of republicanism you know obviously i think like the party i mean people for profit like we we would obviously we would oppose you know unionism and loyalism we think it's a kind of pro-imperialist kind of ideology the kind of establishment now tries to paint this as a culture and then you have a kind of a republican culture and a loyal loyalist culture or something like that whereas 
you know, these are political ideologies. And so we would oppose uh, unionism and loyalism as ideologies. But and we'd also have a critique of republicanism as not being kind of adequate in terms of actually going up against uh, these things. And, and our kind of political tradition is kind of founded on trying to build solidarity from below between when we're talking about in the north, for example, between, you know, Protestants and, and Catholics, you know, on a working class basis. So that's one book I'd, I'd recommend. It's 32 Counties by Kieran Allen. And I, actually, specifically on that, there's another book by Sean Mitchell, Struggle or Starve. And it looks at the 1932 outdoor relief riots in Belfast. It's kind of one of the instances where you did have this kind of unity between between workers Protestant Catholic workers. I, I, I think, like, I mean, there's lots more that you could kind of talk about, but I, I think those are maybe too good <laughs> without <laughs> giving a full reading list or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of solidarity, I, th- I think we're all kind of learning from each other, really, in terms of what's what's been happening. I don't really know concretely. <laughs> it's funny, like, in, in Ireland recently, we've been taking great inspiration from, from Mick Lynch, you know, and, you know, for, because the unions in, there's been proper kind of strikes in Britain. And I think there, there's kind of, there's been decades of social partnership now in 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 Ireland where the the kind of union union leadership has been so poor and the bureaucracy so, so that we have to kind of start from scratch again trying to build kind of a grassroots fighting kind of trade unions but yeah and, and then on the other hand there's been kind of social struggles in Ireland which have been really positive like you know you know for marriage equality for for abortion rights for you know anti-racist struggles and so on I don't know in terms of like it's hard to kind of quantify solidarity unless there's kind of something immediate happening. But I, t- I think just kind of talking to each other and listening to each other, learning from each other is a, is a kind of a constant thing, isn't it? And at the moment, I think the, that the kind of global solidarity has to be with Palestine uh, and just constantly trying to get feet on the street, trying to pressure our politicians, trying to uh, into actually taking concrete action to put a stop to what Israel is doing. That's where I think the, the kind of the main solidarity needs to be at the, right now. You know, I'm, I'm sure there'll be other things into the future where you know i don't know we'll be looking for each other's help on you know but yeah i don't know a bit rambling there at the end but yeah uh, no but that's that's great owen thank you i think i think being mindful of your time i just want to i guess we can pretty much wrap up there owen okanavan thank you very much for coming on the show thanks for having any final thoughts you want to share before we go anything to plug any uh, last uh, observations? Plug, I suppose, yeah, well, just we've been starting our own uh, podcast recently. If you're interested in learning more about Irish politics, it's on uh, Rebel Recap and you can find it on Podbean or on Spotify. So just discussing, well, global politics, but uh, Irish politics as well. Stuff around Palestine, the far right, more recently. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, well, whatever's going on in Ireland, basically, and the world. So Rebel Recap is called. And uh, yeah, th- then our our online magazine is rebelnews.ie uh, if people are interested in, uh, again, combination of articles on Irish and, and kind of global politics. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Cheers.